This recording is a production of the Conservative Anabaptist Education Committee. This presentation was recorded at Conservative Anabaptist School Board Institute 2019, held in Montgomery, Indiana, on March 1 and 2. Well, good afternoon, everyone. Glad to see all of you here. I had to think about, especially coming right after Gerald's talk about the manipulative parent. This what we're going to be talking about this afternoon, purposeful parent-teacher activities, is really the ounce of prevention. And it's the try to get things on the right foot. Because too many times when we get in those situations where things are broken down between a parent and a teacher, we say, well, if only we had done this, if only we had started the communication earlier. Could have been different, could have ended up better. I did want to say at the outset, I plan to open it up later on for your suggestions, for your input. I am simply coming at this from my perspective, and it's one of the things I enjoy about CASB is all the different perspectives, different school settings, different community settings, and there's a lot of different ways something like this can actually play out. So I plan to simply approach it from my experience. Um, and my experience, when I went to school, I grew up in Lebanon County, Pennsylvania which is a large Mennonite community. We had about 130 students in our school. I think there was, I did some figuring, I think it was about nine different churches, a part of that school. And so a parent-teacher meeting there looked a lot different than what it does today. And I remember only going to a handful of parent-teacher meetings as a child. I usually stayed home with my older brothers and sisters. It was exactly that, parents and teachers. Um, that's pretty much what it amounted to from growing up. From what I remember, now I live in a small church. In our school there's 18 students, two teachers. And so when we have a parent-teacher meeting, it's like you said this morning, it's a school church meeting. And I like that, I have to remember to take, we call it parent-teacher and then we um, wonder why not more of the church shows up. I think we'll have to change the name of that and call it a church school meeting. I like that. So there's different ways this can take form. But this afternoon, thinking about the purposeful parent-teacher activities, so first of all, it needs to be purposeful. There needs to be a purpose behind it. It needs to be meaningful and intentional. How many, how many of you have regular planned parent-teacher meetings? Raise your hands. Okay. Most, all of you. Good. How much thought do you put into that? How much energy? I went looking and I was looking at our school handbook, and there's only one sentence in there about parent-teacher meetings, and that says, under the principal responsibilities. Under the principal responsibilities, it's his duty at parent-teacher meetings to give an update on the progress of the school. That's all that's said about it in our handbook. I was kind of surprised, as regularly as we have them, that it wasn't more written out about them. So how much energy do you put into it? Um, Basically, I'd like to just break this down into three different parts. First of all, the purposes, then the activities, think about the different types, and then application, that's simply how to make it happen. So what's the purpose of parent-teacher meeting, parent-teacher activities? First of all, I believe it's to establish common ground between the parents and the teachers. And that can be on a very informal level. When you want to relate to somebody, you need to know who they are. You need to know what's important to them. 
need to know their background. So that's the first point, is to create a common ground between parents and teachers. The second purpose of parent-teacher activities is to create an opportunity for parents and teachers to communicate on a constructive level. And too often, parents wait to talk to teachers until the teacher's doing something wrong, and vice versa. Teachers wait to talk to the parent until something's going wrong with the student, and then we have to call it the parent. And that's no fun either. So it's to create an opportunity for them to communicate on a constructive level. And lastly, purpose for parent-teacher activities is to inspire and instruct the community on the importance of school. And that's probably more of a formal setting. It may be where you sit down and have a meeting on an evening, bring in a speaker from out of the area, and talk about what school does for your community. We'll talk more about that later. So those are three basic purposes. So, activities. What are some of the different types, different reasons for having them? First of all, starting with the formal is an instructional meeting and we have this twice a year at our school we get together um, November and then February we actually just had one this past Wednesday evening and we bring in a speaker we give them a topic often it's a good idea to bring in somebody who has some experience who cares about the school and they can have this opportunity to share their vision with the large community and also it's helpful to have them address practical issues, things that you're facing, and they can give their perspective on that. We do this on a Wednesday evening when we would normally have prayer meeting, so there's no excuse for anybody not to be there. Otherwise, it's a, it's a night you should have blocked out for church, so come to our parent teacher or church school meeting, and everybody can participate. It's also an opportunity for the board to give any updates. The chairman usually gives a report on the school, we also give our treasurer time to give an update on what the finances look like. And this past time, this last Wednesday evening, he went into some detail about how our, how our finances compared to the finances of private schools in the state of Virginia, which was fascinating to me. And you look at their budgets, what they what he found on the web and versus our budget, we're well under what it costs to run a nominal public school. I'm sorry, a nominal private school even in society at large around us. That was fascinating. So it's a way for, to bring your uh, information of what goes on behind the scenes to your patrons so they have an idea of what's, what they're putting their energy and money into. The, sec <clears throat> the second type of activity is personal interviews. And these provide opportunity for one-on-one -on -one communication. How do you do something like a personal interview with, you sit down with the parent and the teacher Okay, some of you, not as many of you. Um, personally, I believe this is very important. I taught school for five years, and I remember my first parent-teacher interviews. I was nervous, I was scared, because these parents are coming in and sitting down on the other side of the desk, what am I gonna say? I mean, we can talk about the report card and their grades, but what about students whose behavior isn't what it should be? Um, and I remember my principal telling me, he said, you think you're nervous? It's not even your child you're talking about. <laughs> the parents are just as nervous as you are because it's their child and they're the one that's responsible. And now that I'm a parent, I, I see it from that perspective too. Um, so the personal interviews provide that opportunity for one-on-one -on -one communication. And it's important to remember that, that neither the teacher nor the parent is on trial. We're not here to straighten the other person out. It's a time of communicating, figuring out where, what's the parent's perspective? What's the teacher's perspective? 
And they can work two different ways. There's times when I've had trouble with a student who wasn't applying himself. I mentioned that to the parent and they said, what's new? That's how he does his chores. It's just his, it's something we're working on. And so it was a confirmation to me. You're doing the right thing. Keep, what, keep on what you're doing. And so then you realize that you're on the same page as the parent. Then there's times when you're on the situations where you're not on the same page. And the parents have a completely different perspective than you do on what's going on in this child's life. And it's important to realize that we're not enemies. We're not, we may be seeing it from a different perspective, but we're on the same team. We have the same goal and we're working towards the same end. And so that one-on-one -on -one time with the parents and the teacher gives a time to have open communication. As already mentioned, another problem that can happen <clears throat> is that we wait until it's a big problem to get on the phone and call up dad. As a teacher, that's a little bit late because now there's problems with, obviously problem with the student, we wouldn't be calling them, but there's other social issues, there's other pieces, and this starts to become a great big problem. And it's much easier whenever they're coming on a regular basis to sit down and say, this isn't a big deal, but it could become a big deal if we let it go. I've started to notice the student has this problem. What can you do about it? What can I do about it? What do I need to know? And so you have an opportunity to communicate. And so many of those problems, if you get them when they're small, don't have the opportunity to wreck your classroom. And so it's, it's, you just save yourself a lot of headache. It's that one ounce of prevention. Another reason for the one-on-one -on -one interviews is that students are very adept at presenting themselves in the best light. Now that's not to accuse them of being intentionally dishonest. But when the student goes home and tells their parent about what happened on this paper, they're going to paint it as much as they can in their best interest. I, I, you know, there's so many other things that went into this, it's not my problem. And so when you have that circle closed, that close communication between the parent and the teacher, the student has a hard time excusing himself. Because the parent knows where the teacher's at, the teacher knows where the parent's at. And so the student doesn't have an opportunity to manipulate those two. So it's very important that we have open communication between parents and teachers. And then thirdly, we have the informal connections. And this can be something like a school picnic. Something that the school board arranges, that the parents are there, the teachers are there, but there's no formal time to sit down together. And we have a school picnic. And I, at first, when we started to do it, the principal was in charge. And uh, that brought pressure on me as a principal just to make sure this thing, everything went off and everything worked right. And I get tired of that. And I went to my board and said, could you just take this thing on and make it a board, a board event? And they did. The board chairman is now in charge of our, of our picnic. And I really like that. It gives the teachers and the principal a time to just relax and enjoy interacting with other people in the school without having to be the one in charge and saying, now we're doing this and now we're doing this. Um, just a chance to sit back and more interact on an informal level. I believe that's important because when it's on an informal level, you get to learn what their interests are. What do they enjoy doing? Who are they as a person? So it takes some effort to connect on that level. 
What about suppers? If your teacher's from out of the area, a single teacher, invite them into your home. A teacher can learn a lot by looking at how a father and mother relate to their children around the supper table and then take them in perspective in how the student works in school. Get to know your parents and your parents and teachers. If, if your teacher is from your own area, they take a little different shape. Obviously, if they live in your area, they're going to be in their own home. They're not going to come into your home. But try to connect with them on a Wednesday evening or a outreach event. Try to connect with your teachers. What, what do they enjoy doing? What's their hobbies? Because the more you can build a relationship between parent and teacher, the less opportunity to, you have to have that communication break down and you have the, the digging in and taking sides. So the important thing here is making communication easy. So thirdly, application, how do we make this happen? First of all, plan your meetings. We've heard, already heard about that. Get a calendar. Send out your calendar. Communicate what's coming up the next couple weeks. That way parents know. The parents are going to be there. They're expected to be there. We use, for the interviews, we have um, five of them a year. Now, depending how big your school is, for me it actually just feels like a little bit too much because we have six marking periods. And so at the end of every marking period, the report card goes home Monday evening. The teacher sends it home with the student. And then the very next evening, Tuesday evening, we have a parent-teacher interview. And basically what ends up happening is that parents, we look over the report cards, and then we take it back in, and we sit down with the teacher, and we go over it. And so that's why we have five of these interviews. It's at the end of every report card. And now, in a larger school, um, you would have to break it up over several evenings to make that happen at those interviews. And you probably wouldn't want to do it five times a year. It would be a lot on the teacher. Um, and even in a small school, it feels like we're always going in and talking to the teacher about these things. that We just talked about this six weeks ago. Um, there's advantages to that. If things come up, you stay fairly current. It doesn't have a chance to snowball on you and all of a sudden it's out of hand because you're talking about these things regularly. Um, but put it on the calendar. Make it happen on a regular schedule. Set a time and date for every patron and teacher to be there. And if it doesn't work out for the parent schedule, tell them to reschedule it. This needs to happen. It needs to be important to both to make that connection, to be able to talk. Thinking about the topics, um, and here's where I want some input from you. Um, what are some topics that you've had? What are some subjects that you've covered in your parent-teacher meetings? Yeah, right. <laughs> Most recent one we had was um, developing the desire to learn. And that was kind of an interesting one. We brought, I don't know how many know Anthony Hurst. He's taught for many years. He came to our school and did that one. That was fascinating because he's a teacher. He loves to learn. And the challenge is, and what I took away from that one, is parents, our scope is going this way. We're saying, what can I eliminate from my schedule? How can I free up my life? How can I just do the essential things to make life happen? And as a child, their life is going the other way. They're saying this world is so huge, there's so amazing 
things to learn and so they're getting into things and exploring things and so their world's going this way what else can I do what else can I try and so we're trying to bring those two together as parents and students uh, so I enjoyed that, that topic <coughs> this year we did we have a school that does community and church patrons but okay. the board is put in this church on its own so we're always needing to put it up to keep community patrons involved this mm -hmm. year we had so people come involved in camps uh, search and rescue operation mm -hmm. one of those is a community patron okay. so I felt that was the way it wasn't necessarily a school related subject mm -hmm. Still had a really good turnout, and I think sometimes if you can let those community patrons feel like they have some involvement too, mm -hmm. that can help. Our school situation is very similar. We have, we often bring in another someone with a, with a common interest. We have a young man that had a real interest in photography, set up online, and it was it was a good for building that school family bond, that mm -hmm. relationship. So this was even outside of what would be typically a school topic. This was just kind of a common interest topic. Okay, very good. Last year we actually had King Kaufman there one evening. And I can't remember the title of his topic, but he, he talked about it at a CLE workshop about manners. Do you know what was the name of that topic? But basically it was talking about uh, general uh, household members. Uh, and we had all the children and everybody sitting mm -hmm. in that, and that was interesting. Okay. Another topic. There was a hand in the back. Just uh, a couple weeks ago, we had the author of the book, Conversational Capacity, kind of speak on conversational capacity. Okay. Normally charged quite a bit for that event, but was willing to do it for a very reasonable price. Mm -hmm. Sounds like it would be. Yes. A couple weeks ago, when ours, uh, we heard the topic on who cares. The speaker focused or directed his thoughts to the students, but incorporated a lot of things for parents and teachers and school board too. The emphasis was on accountability and responsibility. Mm -hmm. A couple years ago, we had uh, somebody came in and just gave a demonstration on electricity. There's another one over. No? I thought somebody else had started to talk. Okay. One we had was a uh, topic we had was on the importance of vision exams before starting school. Mm -hmm. The practical areas. There's so many different ways you can go with a topic like this. You can go with the. Um, 
the history of Christian education. How did we get here? What are we doing? Because we're now in the second generation of our Christian schools. And if it's going to thrive, well, that's why you're here today. If you have a vision for it, that's it's really the only way it's going to go forward is if the people of your congregation have a vision for Christian education. And so it needs to go beyond just today. Um, you can talk about the vision for a Christian school. You can talk about development in the preschool years. So what happens before that child goes to school? Those are important. We heard about that with um, the one session there. Who decides when they're ready? What are the, what's the criteria? And a lot of that comes down to the mothers, how they're training, what are they doing? What role is technology playing with your preschoolers? Those are questions we need to be asking ourselves as a church group or as parents. Practical tips for working together. Challenges of a small school or challenges of a large school. Somebody from outside your community came in and addressed those issues because those can get sticky. Um, especially if somebody, that's why it's a good idea to bring somebody in from outside because they don't know what's going on but human nature is the same. We deal with the same human nature and so they can address those things in generalities without knowing the details of your situation. But sometimes it takes an outside perspective and say, well, what, what are the things that are we, are, we are hurting ourselves and what do we need to be changing? Special needs, that was mentioned. And special needs children require a, a closer working relationship between the parent and the teacher to help that child, to tailor the education for that child. Any others that you all had? Our last one we had a brother share on migration. He has an interest in that topic. So you're talking about animal migration? Right. Birds, okay. Some mammals. Mm -hmm. I thought maybe you're talking about the current political scene with, <laughs> <laughs> with people groups. That's a whole other concern. Refugees. On several occasions, we've already had the high school teacher would have had the high school students do like science project. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that would do several things. It would be public speaking, so the students actually get up and demonstrate the science behind it. Obviously, have to have their project researched. Yeah, benefit there on several levels. We used to even like that, uh, enlarging on what was just said, to um, not only say have a talent show, but give students opportunity to um, exercise other demonstrations mm -hmm. than we typically would as a, a school program which has more of a spiritual emphasis. Um, this might include poetry um, recitation or play or mm -hmm. story or something that's being created that wouldn't necessarily have any spiritual emphasis. Mm -hmm. yeah. Something we've done a few times for PTF is to have uh, what we call night school where we have the parents come in and teach the classes to the students, and the students have a shortened day or maybe no school day at all. I can't remember just how we set that up, but it was in the evening instead. The parents came in and taught the classes. 
Okay. And boy, the students had fun with that. <laughs> and the parents did too. Right. Right. <laughs> so did the parents get to pick their classes, or was yeah. that assigned? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And another one that I, I remember from when I taught high school was uh, the parents would come in in an evening, and the teachers would teach a class to them instead of to the students. Okay. That would be intimidating as a teacher. <laughs> <laughs> But it, it all creates interesting conversation right. and fun together, yeah. and it's a learning opportunity for everybody. One year we had students talk to parents. I've heard of that. Mm -hmm. right. That would make them dig to teach your parents something. Yes? Uh, just a little bit on that last topic that I had mentioned about 20 things that teachers wish parents would know. Um, one thing that was a blessing for that topic was I, even as a teacher, so often when we go to these teacher meetings and so on and so forth, we hear so much that the bias is on the opposite side. It's on mm -hmm. the teacher's role, the teacher's responsibility. and. While the speaker did admit, you know, it is going to be biased because he was a teacher, he doesn't have any children in school, but it was good for the parents, I think, and even us as teachers to hear the opposite bias on what the parents' role is as well. So it, it, was, a, it was very good in that aspect that it, it brought out to us teachers, it, it brought out a balance, you know, on they have a role. Plus, we have a role, too. Mm -hmm. But often, we hear the role of our part when we come right. to places like this or, you know, right. uh, other settings, too. But, um, it, it was very uh, encouraging and, and, and knowing what is sometimes expected of the you know, parents, too. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, it, just wanted to explain a little bit on that one. Mm -hmm. It is something that should apply to most people, not something that should apply specifically to the teachers, because they go to Teachers Institute or specifically to the boards. It's something that should be well-rounded. Another one I thought about, and I don't, I don't know because we've never done it, but what, when's the last time you as a board presented your vision to the patrons? When's the last time you did that? I don't know that we ever have. You have? You do it regularly? No? Yeah. Okay. Okay.
we were a little late getting a speaker, and the one we the one we had tried didn't work out, and so we just decided, well, we're just gonna we're gonna talk, <laughs> and so uh, we got a three man board, and the three of us all had a portion of the evening, and we kind of a recap of what mm -hmm. we of, of Casby, but also just a chance to kind of use that to share a little bit of our vision too. Good. Good. Last summer, our, our, uh, our ministerial rep on our, on our school board, we, we felt like our culture was really struggling in that school. So we kind of did a state of the school address thing at okay. the summer meeting. And it was just, and it was really, uh, it's often not very well attended. And this year, we had made a pretty big deal about everybody being there. And just really talked about culture and, and, and where we're going as a board. And really clarifying that, you know, uh, punishments will be in, Pursued, you know, if, there, if some of these things with, with some of the children are, are, are not, you know, are not changed, and, and so it really gave us a footing, you know, for the parents that were supportive of what we're doing. Uh, it really, they loved it, and then and we also had, had, had really put a warning out there for the, you know, this kind of spirit or attitude or uh, culture, bad culture, continue to build, you know, suspensions and, and, and mm -hmm. even. So, right. and, and it really gave us a footing on that and really gave us a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, support from, from the 85%, if that makes sense. Good. So it was, it was a really good, um, and, and the, the, the person that shared that was very passionate about it. And really, uh, so yeah, I, I feel like that really hearing from the board is really key. And they, they feel like they don't hear very much about vision. And he shared some history in that, he shared some vision for the future, and it really, it really helped. Good. Good. Well, lastly under how to make this practical. As a board, give direction to your parent-teacher interviews. The teacher should always have something specific to talk about. Um, I know as a teacher sometimes that's hard to do, especially if you have a good student. What do you talk about? The parents are going to come to my room for 10-15 minutes. What do we talk about? But they're setting aside that time. Tell your teachers to be prepared to have something. You can, um, even for a good student. Give compliments, especially for uh, struggling students. Give compliments and tell them that. And so you have this big issue you know you need to talk about. Um, put it in a compliment sandwich. Compliment, a criticism, and then another compliment. So maybe he does well at connecting with other students, but he really hates English. So you know you got to talk about that. Well then talk about the good, talk about the bad, but then also give. So keep it balanced. Parents don't they know their students have problems, but they like to know that their students are an asset to your classroom. So tell your teachers that. Um, ask them to be prepared and always give a positive. Also, I already mentioned this, interviews are an opportunity to see the, see the situation from the other party's perspective. Interviews are not a time to sit down and straighten each other out. It's a time to come together and say, what's your perspective and what's my perspective? Sometimes we run into situations like the manipulative parent that he was talking about earlier. 
it has to go much farther than the simple sit down with just the parent and the teacher. And that's kind of a whole another can of worms. Hopefully, the ounce of prevention in having open communication, regular communication where they feel comfortable talking to each other can help to avoid those situations. <clears throat> and when you run into those, maybe you as a board should give some thought as to how that process works, especially with an ongoing situation with a student who does not get along with other students, or you have a crit critical parent. Does the parent come straight to the teacher with that concern? After a while, a teacher can only take so much because they're working with the students all day long. Three o'clock rolls around, an upset parent rolls in, and neither's in a very good frame of mind. Um, does the parent go to the board? Does the parent go to the principal? And that's kind of getting outside this topic, but it can pull into it because we're talking about parent-teacher communication. I personally believe that the, a parent, a critical parent, should go to the principal or the board chairman. Um, one time to the teacher is probably okay, but beyond that, if it's an ongoing problem, it's probably something that, because the parent is coming from an outside perspective. The principal knows what's happening inside the school, inside that classroom, and so he can probably help to balance it out. And if it is an issue, he can take it to the teacher. If it's not an issue, it can stop, and then the board can back up their teacher and say the teacher's doing what we asked him to do. And so a critical parent um, should be dealt with on a different level. Are there any other questions? Anything else that you would like to, I'm gonna kind of open it up here. I wasn't sure how much time to left for discussion, and it looks like we have a good 15 minutes left. So, yes? Once a year, I think we have time for the parents to talk with the teachers. Like if they have three students in separate classes, they mm -hmm. try to talk to each teacher. And this is only my second year on the board, but I was just wondering what what is a good question to ask? Like we as a board, we go we split up and then interview. Uh, well, actually, they, they they talk with the teacher, but then they also have time with the board. So the patrons have time with the board. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I guess I'm, at, I'm wondering what y'all do. What's a good question to ask when you only have a 10 minute slot? Mm -hmm. uh, if you, you know, they can't just ramble on and on. What's a good question for the board members to ask? You know, say there's no problem, no big problems at school, but you want to know how they feel about school. Mm -hmm. uh, do you ask, do you have anything negative going on in school? And then, uh, Okay. And if you have input, how do you do that? Have the time where your patrons sit down with the board and have like a patron board interview. I was just ready to ask if anyone ever does that. I'd like to hear that explained. I was in one, I taught at another school for one year and they did at our parent teacher interviews. Um, the patron would come to the teacher and then they would go to the board and just have that time. And often that was, especially like your upper graders, what, what do you want, um, looking at high school, what's the student's interest, where do you want to go, um, some more of those detailed things. Um, and if there was ongoing discipline issues, it was a time, chance for the board to talk to the parent on their perspective. Yes? We do always ask the question, do you feel okay in hiring him back, the teacher? That is one specific question okay. that we ask the parents. So you get you get feedback from directly from the patrons about the teacher's performance. Okay. We did it only once, I 
think it was three, three years ago, three or four years ago. Nye's parent was not there that time, so I was not in it. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the school board brought it up uh, to do it again, or last meeting. And the board member that was on the first time that they did it, they said, I don't have a problem with it, but it was kind of awkward. <laughs> I didn't even know that they had done it. Yeah. Uh, I was not there at that time, so I, if I knew it, I forgot it. Mm -hmm. But it's happened only once in my in my knowledge mm -hmm. at our school. Ever. One question I would suggest maybe is um, are we as a school meeting the goals that you as a parent have for our school? Um, I think that if we ask for negative stuff, we're going to get negative stuff. Mm -hmm. If that's what you want, that's okay. We get a little tired of hearing that. <laughs> um, so I'd rather focus on the positive. Um, what's what's happening that's good, or what should we then work on to try to improve? What are, what are your goals for the meeting that we should aim at? I guess what we're really getting at is we had a situation where we meet fairly soon after our meeting, we had some problems come up. Mm -hmm. so from parents, and so, you know, we heard about not beating around the bush. How can we ask questions, better direct questions, that triggers thinking in these parents that, okay, this is my opportunity, let's lay it out. Instead of, after the meeting, you, you hear stuff that they're not happy with the teacher or whatever. Go ahead, Peter. I think Come. being honest, I guess I'm just that kind of fellow uh, in meetings like this and just in love, putting all the cards on the table and telling right. them, this is your chance. Let's talk about it. Do you have any? Mm -hmm. And then also, just be honest enough to tell them, I don't want to hear it after you leave either. You know, let's, this is your chance. And, right. and coming across kind of, but you don't build 
that type of reform, you don't open those types of doors in one setting. It takes constantly communicating and working and really striving, and that's what I used to really push our staff for, is to remember that we have to keep the door of communication open all the time. Right. If not, if it ever goes closed, it's awful uncomfortable opening here. Jim. One thing we try to do in our church, which we only have 20 students in our school, three teachers, we try to reach out to the teachers and have them, um, there are actually three, three lady teachers this year, come and have them in our place for a meal, just to, just to have interaction there. But um, another question I have, has anybody ever create a survey for the school patrons to say, in essence, what is your vision for, this, for your children, for the school, and do you have any areas of improvement? If so, what, you know, and one through five, how do you rate this, and parent-teacher relationship? Anybody ever do any of that? Okay. I wanted to send you make it. How, have you, how many of you have handed out surveys to your patrons? One, two, okay, so not many. In a situation like where we are, there's uh, five board members and eight patrons, so. <laughs> It depends on your situation, but yeah, it could be a good thing. Um, what usually ends up happening here is we'll say, well, you go ask him and you go ask him and then we'll see. <laughs> Did you have any more input on that? No. no is it something just, you've done? Well, I one, one afternoon I just couldn't think anymore except mm -hmm. for that. So I started putting down a whole bunch of things and the thing that my computer crashed and I lost that. Uh -oh. okay, I <laughs> but we had a certain situation that was really troubling us as a school. And I guess we got, we had, we dealt with that situation and now everybody's breathing easy, you know. But I think it should maybe come before we have some another situation right. like that. But right now it would seem like maybe we kind of a point in time to do it. Mm -hmm. But We did it and we're a fairly new school. We broke off from another school. And of course, it's a new school, so then people know or think stuff can be done like the last school. Right. At that lunch, somebody said, the new school should be a lot easier because you can do things the way you want to do it, but I don't think it works that way. Right. Um, but 95% of it was positive, but then you have the same couple people that always complain that had all the problems. So. But most of it was, I'd say it was it was good. I mean, it was kind of you knew a lot of people around it. Right. Up, it gave you an idea of sometimes the most it's the vocal minority that's yeah. causing the problem, yeah. and you helped you to see that. Yes. You listen to uh, you know a small church five board members. What what are the roles of your five board members? Okay, we have three board members per se and then two ministries sit on, but because it's only basically the ministry vote and act as part of the board because you have the chairman, so that's, he's out as far as voting, then you have the four, it's at least four to actually vote and carry out business. Yeah. I was just wondering as far as, you know, what's a, a good board member number? Is there a good I mean, Is it advantage to have more or... It should be an odd number. Yeah, four. That's what I was wondering. 
Kind of off the off the topic, would you have any input on that? Well, how big should your board be? Yes. I don't know, but just the personal experience, we had probably a thirty student school with three board members and we were fine. We wanted to start another school, so we started adding board members one a year. Now we have eighty students and we have five board members, and I don't know how we're gonna split off board members because we need them all. Mm -hmm. That's what, to get secretary, treasurer, and chairman, you about have to have a minimum of three. How far you go beyond that, I guess a matter of how efficient you want to be. I know, I talked about where I grew up where there was nine different churches. I think that board is around 12 members, including ministry. I wasn't trying to get off of my intro. Yeah. You know, here it says, talks about how they encourage your teachers mm -hmm. and staff. kind of takes on a whole different trail with, as a board member, what's your job in encouraging them? Um, who's the contact? The chairman the contact? But, yeah. Well, thank you for your help, and God bless you as you go and serve your schools, as you encourage communication. You're dismissed.